2: This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall.
3: I am back with a different perspective. I uh, truly am Kevin Randall. I'll be joined in just a moment by Robert Powell. We'll be talking about the Scientific Coalition for Ufology. So it's something new and different and I think will be of interest to everybody. Robert Powell was born in Rochelle, France in 1953 and moved to the U.S. when he was but three years old. He has a B.S. in chemistry and a, is a former collegiate debater. He has 28 years experience in engineering management and in the summer... Semiconductor industry. I was going to say the summer industry, but it's semiconductor. I don't know why I went off on that tangent. He helped advance micro devices develop its first flash memory technology so that we all can carry flash drives around, apparently, uh, in today's environment. Uh, that the, the, and these were the flashcards that you use for cameras, PCs, video cameras, and all these other products. His experience includes managing a state-of-the-art chemistry laboratory and managing a research and development group that worked on nanotechnology using atomic force microscopes, near-field optic microscopy. Myscropi- and other techniques. (laughs) Let's use some big complicated words that I cannot pronounce. That's really nice. Robert is also a co-holder of four patents related to nanotechnology. I wanted to get all that in simply because it kind of sets up the credentials. Uh, Robert has been the director of research for the Mutual UFO Network and and was, I believe this is true, was the head of MUFON's science review board. And I say was because I don't think he holds those positions we'll find out in a moment about that. He is also a member of the Society for Scientific Exploration, the UFO Data Project, the Scientific Co- Coalition for Ufology, which we'll be getting into in depth here in a minute, and the National Space Society. He enjoys researching, writing and making presentations related to UFOs phenomena. He lives in Austin, Texas, so he has my condolences on that. Robert, welcome.
4: <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. That's pretty good.
3: Um my understanding was you have retired from MUFON now. Yeah, well,
4: I, uh, I resigned my position as the director of research and as the head of the science review board. I still have a membership there, uh, but I'm not holding any positions.
3: And was that just because it had become um, too much work to, to do or, and you wanted to retire? Or were there any other reasons you, you did that?
4: Well, I was uh, the director of research for MUFON for 10 years, and I created the science review board there in 2012. So my goal had always been to advance science within MUFON, so I did the best that I could in that area during my 10 years. And, uh, you know, as, as time wore on, I felt that I had done all that I could and decided that I wanted to move on, spend my time on other activities. And, of course, one of those was uh, working on helping in the creation of the Scientific Coalition for
3: Ufology. Did um, the symposium program have anything to do with inspiring you to move on? Uh, yes, you
4: might say that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, uh, I'm I'm pretty conservative on the topic of the ufo phenomenon and so it was difficult for me to support a secret u.s space program uh theme which was what the the theme was for 2017 and since i felt that was the direction you know the organization would continue to move uh, i just decided if my time could be spent best elsewhere
3: so you moved you moved on from those organizations and into other other arenas, right? Okay, and I, <clears throat> I just wanted to get out of that get that out of the way up front before we get into the um, scientific Co- coalition for ufology, which we'll do in just a moment here. We're going to have to take a break uh, quickly. Uh, For those of you who are interested, those of you who want to know, I always post to my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com additional information and some links that might be of interest. And in this case, the link would be to the um, ExploreSCU.org, which would be the website or the homepage for the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, so you can take a look at what what is going on there. And to mention, of course, uh, Roswell in the 21st century, which I think is of a dispassionate look at the Roswell cases that exist today and that sort of thing. And of course, uh, take a look at the other fine programs on the X zone broadcast network uh, as well. And I think there's things that'll be of interest to everybody there. So take a look at that stuff and um, scroll down and see what you can find out. And for those of you who are interested, we will be back just after this. So stick around.
2: I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com.
5: Is it science or is it magic? Once a magical thing has been scientifically proven, is it no longer magic? Or is magic simply the science of tomorrow? Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, on the Science of Magic, a syndicated radio program dedicated to combining the science and magic of today's dynamic and controversial topics to co-create new solutions. By triangulating information from today's leading experts from the scientific and magical fields, we uncover expansive and evolutionary truths you won't find anywhere else. Join us daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, as I interview the share the thoughts with the amazing guests from both science and magic. The resulting knowledge is unprecedented. As a gift to you, the listener, past episodes can be accessed on our website, free of charge, at thescienceofmagic.net.
3: As I promised, I have returned. I'm joined by Robert Powell who hasn't said a whole lot yet, but that's mostly my fault. And as we were going, going to break there, my, my clock faded out on me, so I kind of lost my train of thought, so I meandered into the break. Uh, so you'll just have to excuse that because these things happen.
4: Ooh, don't wait. Visit sono, SonoBello.com slash save. com slash save. com slash save.
3: What springs to my mind, Robert, is um, this uh, scientific coalition for ufology. And I should be upfront. I am an affiliate member of the organization. Um, so it's it's not that I was unaware of these, these things going on in the background. And I sort of have a rooting interest uh, in the organization as well. So I want to do that in the interest of full disclosure and transparency. How long has this idea for the scientific Co- coalition been bubbling around in the background?
4: Well, in, in terms of the idea for creating an organization, uh, not that long, probably June or July of this year. Uh, it may have been bubbling in the background of my head for maybe six months longer than that. And we we began creating the organization in August of this year.
3: So it's brand new as essence in essence. Yes, uh, it's still in the development stage. Did you talk to others in the field? And I'm thinking of people like Mike Swords, for example, or Peter Sturrock, who are well-known inside the UFO community, but maybe not well-known outside. But uh, uh, Dr. Swords, of course, was a, a professor at, um, I forget, the University in Michigan he was at. Great. And, uh, and, and uh, uh, Dr. Sturrock is also um, a, a scientist. They've been, I guess, advocating for an upgrade in the quality of research in ufology. Um, were you in consult consultation with them uh, about this, and and talk to them, or were there other people you talked to about getting the organization rolling?
4: Uh, I, I did talk to Mike Swords uh, about it because he and I are very good friends, and uh, he's in full support of the organization. He's uh, he's actually a member through KUFOS uh, because. Uh, the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, which I'll refer to as SCU from now on. Uh, it is in partnership with KUFOS. So, uh, Mike and Mark Rodiger and uh, several other individuals are aligned with uh, SCU through KUFOS.
3: And that's the Center for UFO Studies, the organization dropped, started by Jalen Hynek. And I mentioned that for the people who may not be aware of that history. Right. Uh, and KUFOS is kind of, I guess, kind of fallen on hard times recently, given uh, some of the things going on in ufology. But I know they are trying to maintain their website and trying to maintain a continuous organization. How about the Fund for UFO Research? Are there any are people who are involved with that uh, in, in uh, uh, SCU? Um, that's a good question, Kevin. I have not reached out
4: to the uh, Fund for UFO Research, which I probably should.
3: Well, I know that some of the people who were on the fund were also members of the board uh, for MUFON, so I'm I'm sure you had contact with those people.
4: Right. I mean, I I had contact with all the main people in MUFON, but I have not actually talked to anyone um, within MUFON uh, directors and Jan Harzan or others in the board uh, related to the uh, creation Of the scu so it's an independent organization completely
3: okay so let's uh let's do this um what is the mission of of the scu what what is the purpose well we've actually created a mission statement
4: and it's a very short one it's the scientific exploration of uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon and we use that term rather than ufo because Um, We just felt it was uh, a more appropriate term because of the word uh, aerial land phenomenon and because of some of the negative connotations, unfortunately, uh, with the word UFO.
3: Well, I know in the history of ufology, if you will, that uh, a number of people argued against using the term UFO because it suggested the object, there was an object which you may not want to do, and that it was flying, which is sort of a, a, a characteristic of it, and by calling it an unidentified aerial phenomenon, you've kind of elimin- eliminated that, um, I guess, bias in the reporting. It was was that a consideration at all? No, but but I like that, Kevin.
4: I, I'm going to steal <laughs> that from you. <laughs> Because flying and objects do uh, indicate a certain bias to what you're looking at, and you don't really know if those two are true or not.
3: Well, every time you use it, you're going to have to put parenthetically, uh, it's stolen from Kevin Randall, so <laughs> so I get full credit, credit for that. But I, I mean, I, I remember uh, the Lorenzans, I think, were using the term UAP a long time ago uh, as well, so it's it's a fun, it's a I guess, a term, term that's been around for a long time. But yes. uh, it doesn't imply any sort of bias. It, it, it could suggest any number of things, I suppose, if you're looking at a bizarre object on there. So uh, it it says in the press release here that uh, not only if I, I guess you're going to have an investigative component.
4: Uh, yes, and that's probably longer term. I mean, in the short term, we will investigate any case if it has, if we get access to it and if it has significant information. Uh, And an example of one uh, that myself and one one other individual uh, in SCU is currently investigating is that November 14th, uh, 2004 case that was discussed uh, by Tom DeLong and his panel Uh, a week or two ago. I, I started working on that case actually over a year ago, so before even the formation of SCU.
3: Give us the background of that 2004 case because I'm not sure everybody's going to be familiar with it. I, of course, by looking at what DeLong was doing and all of that, I'm now familiar with the case. But give us a little background on that case.
4: Okay, I first heard about the case in the middle of 2016. And... And then I began uh, submitting FOIA, Freedom of Information requests, to the Navy in December of last year. And I submitted uh, nine FOIAs to every Navy and Marine organization uh, that might potentially have information. By about April of this year, I received replies back on all of my FOIAs (laughs) but one, and all those were replies were that they had no information on the case. And I I should back up a little bit and say for your audience what this case is about. It's uh, it's about the uh, carrier attack group 11, which consists of the USS Nimitz nuclear aircraft carrier, uh, the USS Princeton, which is a guided missile cruiser and had state-of-the-art radar at that period of time and a E2C, which is basically an airborne, uh, it's an AWAC, for those familiar with that term, it's uh, an airborne electronics uh, aircraft capable uh, of radar of of not only detecting, but even um, leading a battle plan. So it's it's an electronics uh, aircraft. And then there were also four, F-18 Super Hornets from the U.S. Navy involved and one Marine uh, regular F-18 Hornet. So those five naval assets were involved in a unknown object that the USS Princeton, with its radar, detected had come from a real a height of somewhere around eighty thousand feet, dropped almost to the ocean floor. And my understanding you mean is, the sur-
3: you mean the surface of the ocean, not the ocean floor
4: right thanks correct <laughs> surface of the ocean
3: <laughs> I, just sh- <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to make sure yeah you want to make sure we didn't get people confused about by that but right drop to the surface of the ocean
4: and, and apparently this had been going on for several days and so then on november 14th uh, the uss princeton uh, requested initially the marine f-18 to go investigate uh, he took off and then they requested two f-18s from the uss nimitz and so once those aircraft were in the air they called the marine f-18 off um you know off that hey, are you,
3: you are you saying that the the aircraft were scrambled to investigate this object spotted on radar
4: correct and okay. so the the princeton sent these aircraft to those coordinates now from from what i understood those the E2C normally would do that, but his radar was was not as as powerful as the Princeton's apparently because he said the image was coming and going, and the Princeton had a good lock on it, so it took over control of the F18s all the way, and the the F18 pilots uh, as they approached the coordinates given them by the uh, the Princeton indicated that their radar had nothing on their radar as they approached the coordinates. But then as they reached the coordinates, they made visual contact with, and it's not clear if it's one or two, what they described as a tic-tac, kind of like those old candies that are long and oval-shaped and white. So this was a white-colored object shaped like a tic-tac. And as the F-18s approached, the tic-tac turned its nose towards the F-18. And as a side note, there's, there's no wings, there's no uh, jet engine, there's no type of method of propulsion that can be seen other than it turns towards the F-18. The F-18, uh, I guess, took this as potentially an aggressive move. And one F-18 went to higher altitude and the other F-18 engaged the tic-tac, well, engaged he did not have any ordnance on board, so uh, it was more of uh, aerial engagement, and he was just trying to get behind the Tic Tac so he could see more about it. And- well, let me, let
3: me say one thing. In, in fighter lingo, if, the, if somebody's coming at you, it's considered hostile, unless you know for a fact that it's a friendly aircraft. So when the object moved toward the, or turned toward the, the fighter planes, they would, their immediate assumption would be now it's hostile.
4: Oh, okay. So, And that's the way he reacted.
3: Yes, um, and that makes perfect sense to me.
4: And so the the uh, he's trying to do a maneuver where he gets behind the uh, the object, but it's behind him, but it gets behind him. And uh, apparently these aerial maneuvers go on for a while, and then the tic-tac just suddenly leaves at a high rate of speed, and the F-18s aren't able to keep up with it. So they just head back, to the Nimitz, they're on the way back when the Princeton radios them again and says, uh, and the term, and you may be familiar with this one, Kevin, is CAP, which uh, when I looked it up means, I guess, the location where the Princeton had originally sent them to. And so it, uh, Princeton calls the F-18 pilots and says, he's back at the cap. And so the pilots replied, well, we're low on fuel. We can't go back there and engage the target again. So, so we have to continue to the Nimitz, which they did. And then a uh, second pair of F-18s left the Nimitz to go to the target. And it's unclear. Well,
3: let, me, let me interrupt here because we're sure. getting close to a break so i have to i have to take the break we will come back and and get the rest of the story out uh, about this particular sighting and how it affects not only the scu but also uh, tom delong's organization that uh, announced just a couple of weeks ago uh, sort of a similar type mission and how all of this plays plays together at at that time Uh, as I say there will be more information available at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and I tell you that because we've actually solved a couple of cases by using the blog and the information that have been gathered on the programs and some of the illustrations which makes it interesting so we'll be back right after this so please stick around
5: Ancient prophecies, legends, and current events indicate we're entering a high-frequency era supporting enlightenment. During expansive times, old rules fail, necessitating access to the ever-shifting currents of life for guidance. There's an ancient form of shamanism through which we can obtain the information we need. I'm Gwelda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School, with a great new provision for those interested in spiritual evolution and personal empowerment. Galactic Shamanism, Art of the Ancients, Key to Tomorrow, is an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes designed to guide and support you and your family during these times of transition. Embrace the magic. Empower your life. Study Galactic Shamanism at FindYourPathHome.com.
3: I don't make these things up. We are, in fact, back. I am joined with Robert Powell, by uh, Robert Powell. We're talking about the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, or as he calls it, the SCU. When we went away, we were talking about um, the Nimitz uh, launching aircraft to investigate some kind of an aerial phenomenon that looked like a Tic Tac. So uh, we had just gotten to that point where... Two of the fighters had broken off the intercept, and we'd sent two more fighters up to take a look around and uh, take, it, take it from there.
4: Okay, so uh, two more F-18s leave the Nimitz to engage the target. Now, what happened there is not clear because I don't have any information exactly other than we know that a video was taken. It's not clear if the video was taken by the first two F-18s or the second two F-18s that engaged the target. I think it was the second pair that took the video, but that's not for certain. Um, So the reason this case struck a chord with me was when I found out about the case, I was told by an individual who I can't mention, and I Googled and found this case on a Navy blog site. So what was nice was, number one, it wasn't on some UFO site, it was on an actual Naval blog site And this guy writes about Navy things, not UFOs. This is the only UFO case he wrote about. And he wrote it with military type language, which for me was a positive that gave more credence to the case. So that's what got me to investigate it using freedom of information requests. So now that your listeners have a feel for what happened, um, I'd also tell you that I've submitted these FOIAs, online FOIAs, the response that came back from the Navy was, we have no information responsive to your request. So then I appealed the first FOIA, um, and the Navy's reply back was, as long as we do uh, sufficient, this came from the Navy JAG group, which is their uh, basically their attorneys, and so they court case that as long as they do a reasonable job of looking for information, that's all that's required. So then I sent my second appeal. And in there, I argued that you've got five different Navy assets. So you're telling me that on all five Navy assets, you can't find any documentation. I said that you may or may not win that in a court case, but I certainly don't think our congressman will think well of that. And so I copied my congressman along with John McCain, who was a ex-Navy pilot. So this time I get a reply back from the Navy. And although they did not provide the original documents, I'm still working on that, they did provide me emails that came from some of the officers. What, what the JAG group did is they called officers in those groups and said, do you have any information or are you familiar with? And a lieutenant colonel in the Marines replied back. Remember what I told you The describe these as Tic Tacs? Well, the first thing the Marine colonel response to Jaguars in this email, Tic Tacs? Oh, I know all about the Tic Tacs. We all watch the videos of the Tic Tacs.
3: Well, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, you talked about the video, which I would assume was gun camera films. And correct. That it, and and hadn't seen them or anything. And so my thought was maybe there's no image on them. So it m- makes them irrelevant. But now you're saying this Marine colonel responded and said, oh, we've seen the video and know what you're talking about. So it that implies that there was uh, an object seen on, on the videos that were taken by the during the incident. I was going to say by the fighters, but I don't know that for sure. So I'd say by the inc- during the incident.
4: Correct, and he he indicate he actually in that email says uh, the name of it was the commanding officer of that F eighteen squadron. He indicated took the video, and that that uh, gentleman's name is actually in the Marine blog. Um, I'm not, I i do not think there's any need for me to mention his name on the air, but uh, that's the question of whether it was actually him that took the video. Or was it as stated in the blog? It was the second pair of F-18s that took the video. But that, but to me, that's not critical. That will come let me, out. Let me,
3: let me say this: the one thing, the one thing is, if the guy's name is in the blog, it's on the internet, and so there's really no reason to withhold it. Right, there's not.
4: And, and uh, his name is uh, Fraser or Freiter, if I remember right. I'd have to look it up. It's an unusual name. Uh, so, he, and he was actually on a uh, a famous pbs show called um the care uh, carrier or nimitz carrier anyway it was pbs did a show on the nimitz and because he was the uh ceo for that group it's called the black aces then uh, they actually had him on the on the show um but So I had that bit of information, and then I have an email they provided me from a Marine major who said, we don't have the documents here. They have been archived, but you should be able to give Mr. Powell a point of contact who could obtain those documents out of the archive. So that's kind of my argument when I go back to the Navy again to appeal to say, you know, I don't think you've done sufficient. Uh, sufficient, you have not done sufficient due diligence in order to find these documents, because clearly they're in an archive, and this guy's indicating you should know where that archive is.
3: Well, the question that springs to my mind, wouldn't some of this be classified?
4: You know, that's what you would think, and I, that's a good question, Kevin, that I keep wrestling in my head. Uh, I think they're classified, so I was shocked When the JAG guys sent me those emails uh, from that lieutenant colonel and, and from the major. And so because of what they sent me, I actually have the names in total of nine different Navy and Marine officers who either saw this object or were aware of it, you know, by having seen the video.
3: And and the, the the response to your forward request is, we have no documents that are um, relevant to your request? Your
4: request, correct.
3: They, they didn't say we can either confirm or devi- deny that we have documents?
4: No, they didn't say that, and they didn't say they were classified. And basically their argument was, um, we contacted that Marine base, and they didn't have any documents that happened 14 years ago. And in our view, that's due diligence. So end of end of your FOIA.
3: Well, and, and that's that, and that's something I'll say. I mean, having having worked in classified materials with the military, I know that there, it, the information is perishable, and that uh, at some point it's destroyed. If it's right. no longer relevant to your mission or what you're doing and there's there's nothing that says you need to hold on to it, it is it is routinely destroyed. So they may, in fact, not have had any specific documents relevant to your request, but the documents would be either sent somewhere else um, and they, they wouldn't have them at that base so that they may have been telling you the truth as best they could. Exactly. No, no, you're right. They,
4: they were. In other words, the uh, and that's what, you know, the basically that. Major said in his email, we don't have them here. They've gone to archive. Um, So I think I agree with you. And that's basically what JAG was arguing. JAG's argument was we don't have to look everywhere for these documents. All we have to do is, you know, if we go and do a reasonable, you know, search, and they're defining a reasonable search, I guess, is calling the Marine base and saying, do you have them? And so my argument is that's not a reasonable search because these documents are 14 years old. It's not reasonable to expect the Marine Base to still have these documents. They should be in archives, so that's where you should be looking.
3: And and so you're still waiting to hear from other FOIA requests that you've since filed.
4: Um, well, th- that one will be an, a second appeal, and the rest of my FOIA requests have all been denied except one, which I'm still waiting, and that's the uh, deck logs for the for the uh, Nimitz.
3: Okay. And and that should have information about it. The deck logs suppo- supposedly would have the information. I've done the same thing looking for the deck logs from ships that are involved in UFO sightings to see what that – Document says compared to what some of the other people who were supposedly on the ship and that sort of thing said. So compare the compare the stories. I, I wrap this up this way quickly like that because it's an ongoing investigation. It seems to be an interesting one. It was brought up by Tom DeLong and his announcement, and I, I was kind of wondering about that. I mean, you've just announced the um, SCU. And we've got Tom DeLong and his organization. Uh, have you been in contact with them, or is there any kind of communication between the two of you? Is are, are the missions sort of the same? Uh, there's some similarities, I think, to our mission.
4: Uh, I I know two of the individuals uh, well on Tom's panel. One is Chris Mellon, and the other is Hal Putoff. I have not talked to Hal uh, since uh, they launched that organization, but I have talked to Chris. And one of the things that I'm wanting to do with uh, the investigation of this case aligns with something Chris wants to do, which is basically to get a large number of individuals to petition their congressman to basically request that the the Senate Armed Services Committee ask for a debriefing from the Navy on this particular incident. And in the debriefing, they can do that behind closed doors. So if there's any classified information, you know that can be controlled.
3: I would think that the tactics and things used by the aircraft might be classified because we don't want to give the way give away how we operate to any of our competitors in the world. I would think that would be sort of classified uh, information that they just wouldn't want to want to put out. Right. The, the the question that springs to my mind though of the the Longs' organization seems to have a component that is based in fiction, um, and they've talked about they talked about that an entertainment component. I suppose does does that kind of undermine the credibility of the organization that they're, they're moving into a fiction arena.
4: Well, I know it's probably hurt them in a lot of the discussions in the, on the conserve, you know, on the conserve, conservative side of the ufo topic um and, and i think their mission statement talks about it being a multimedia type of uh, group and so i did i did kind of ask tom how did they i mean not tom excuse me chris mellon you know how did i was they gonna all say do it? you know tom de and what's his no name? I, don't, <laughs> I don't i meant to say chris so i talked to chris about that and the best i could get out of what his answer was that it seems like Tom was more of a catalyst. And I think a lot of what attracted the other guys was the other individuals. I mean, their whole group and and Tom seems to be the person who happened to, you know, bring them together. Um, And my view is because right. One of their objectives is to prove that UFOs are real.
3: Well, I, I I think one of the problems I have, and I'm going to have to take a break here in a moment, is this entertainment aspect of it and some of the things they've done in the past seem to undermine their credibility and they may not have the scientific base that that we would want, want to have. I looked at this when all this came out, and of course there's an entry on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Notice how cleverly I sandwiched that in there. <laughs> Uh, for those of you who are interested in the Scientific Coalition for Ufology, as I say, the homepage is ExploreSCU.org, and you might want to take a look at that to learn a little bit more about it. I'll put more stuff up about this in uh, the next couple of days. The other thing I always try to mention, I should try to mention the book Encounter in the Desert, which is looking at the Socorro UFO sighting. Um, some 50 years after the event, is now available. You might want to take a look at that to see what happened there. We've talked about that in the past. I will return with Robert Powell in just a moment, so stick around for the last segment.
5: The earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations, yet viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself? finding safe passage through challenging times. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. truth. Historically, we viewed things as either being true or false. Now, as we enter a more expansive era, we find the question is not, is it true, but rather, how true is it? I'm Gwilda Wiecka, host of the Science of Magic Radio, a syndicated, internationally broadcast radio program dedicated to uncovering this ever-expanding truth. Join me daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, as I interview today's leading experts from the fields of science and magic, to uncover the hidden truth between the lines drawn in the sand. What we unearth in our discussions is not only amazing but totally unprecedented. You won't want to miss a single episode. In service to our listeners, past episodes can always be found on our website with our compliments at thescienceofmagic.net. I am here
3: with Robert Powell, I almost said Robert Young for some reason, Robert Powell, uh, for the Scientific Coalition for Ufology SCU. Uh, the homepage is explorescu.org, so you can take a look at that and learn some more about it. We were talking about uh, uh, Tom DeLong and his organization and how it might affect the um, perception, I guess, of uh, SCU. Um, is that going to be a problem, do you think? No, I don't. I don't think it will uh, affect the perception of uh,
4: SCU uh, in any way. Um, in in terms of DeLong's organization, I, I'm personally willing to give them some time to just see what they're able to provide. I mean, if, if they can provide proof that the UFO phenomenon is real, I'm all forward, all for it. Now, if you ask me to bet today, will they be able to do that? You know, I'm not sure how I would place my wagers but I'm willing to wait uh, a reasonable period of time
3: well let me let me get really nasty here and ask a basic (laughs) question uh we fell down here um hasn't this kind of been done before wasn't sort of the original mission of MUFON to do this and wasn't that kind of what NICAP was going to do and kind of what APRA was going to do and kind of what Kufos uh, was going to do? How is this going to be, be different?
4: Um, that, I think that was always probably an objective of those organizations. Uh, I think maybe the difference in this group is the statements by um, the guy from the DOD and the guy from Skunkworks, who indicated they had video and information that they could release from the government um, that would establish and, and when UFOs. You,
3: when you say the, the DOD guy, are you talking about Rich Hoffman? No, no, no.
4: I'm sorry. I was talking about uh, uh, DeLong's group. Oh, DeLong's group. Okay. I, I'm sorry. I misunderstood, Kevin. Were you talking about the SCU? Or?
3: Yes, yes. I was wondering, I, the, the mission of the SCU sound, sounds to me, and I, I mean, I'm all for it. I, I, it's a great idea, but it seems to be that that has been tried before. And, it seems to always get lost in other things. Uh, the,
4: oh, okay. The, there's a little difference in the SCU. The, the goal being, because it's a more science-driven organization with the membership being most scientists, which is similar to what, the way TUTHOS started off, right, is we're trying to create an organization that other scientists can join and study the phenomena. Now, I'm not, I don't think we can say that we are necessarily going to prove that UFOs are real. Uh, and let me qualify that. I, in my personal opinion, I already believe that the UFO phenomenon is a physical phenomenon and is intelligently controlled. But you can't get that information from one single case. You get that by studying a broad history and a large number of cases to get to the conclusion I got to. Uh, well,
3: let me, let me interrupt here cause I'm, I'm getting short on time and there's one thing I wanted, wanted kind of cover. Sure. I, I think one of the, one of the things you want to do is set up a peer review. Which in Scientific arenas, you know, if you submit an article to a scientific journal, there is a group of your peers, other scientists who are, I guess, uh, trained in that, that discipline to review the article to make sure it makes scientific sense. That's one of the missions of SCU, isn't it? To set up a a good solid peer review?
4: Yes, that's one of our missions. Uh, There would be, for example, if uh, someone submits a a review on a particular case or a particular topic or subject, uh, what we will do is we'll put together uh, a panel of four to five individuals will do a peer review of that paper and within sc already we have individuals with backgrounds in astrophysics microbiology uh, geology chemistry uh, regular physics electrical engineering and so we will we will have someone in all of the basic sciences and and in most cases more than one person
3: well the other thing that you i mean with the nimitz Story that we were talking about here ago. Wouldn't it be good to have have a military officer review if if there is a paper submitted that dealt with that subject? A military officer to understand how the military would have operated in that environment. Wouldn't that be a, an important person to have on the uh, peer review?
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. So someone such as yourself, uh, or you know, one of the other one or two officers, you know, guys on the SCU that have. Uh, military officer experience,
3: and I think well, you were a pilot, right? So you're I was you're- I was a helicopter pilot, so it's not quite the same as being a fighter pilot, but some of the things overlap. Uh, we're dealing with flying around in the sky, but I, I was just thinking that there are subtleties in the military that may not be completely understood by those who have not served in the military or people in the civilian world. That that a military officer might see and suggest, well, you know, this is why this happened this way, as opposed to some other thing going on.
4: Right, right. And like, for example, uh, the guy that I'm working with on this particular case was a uh, a captain in the Navy. And so he gives me, you know, he can give me some ideas on, um, you know, what to look for and, and, and where to go. Uh, but. But then once we finally complete this case, then, uh, you know, the peer review should have other individuals on the peer review team that, are, that you know, were not involved in the, in the original investigation.
3: Well, I would think a radar expert would be important, too, to, to talk to you about maybe the capabilities of the radar systems that we have today as opposed to what we had 25 or 30 years ago and how they might be much more um, accurate and much more precise and uh, much have a much better discrimination than what we were dealing with in the past. And that would lead to some conclusions about what might've precipitated the event. There were visual sightings of this object, if I'm correct, visual sightings. That,
4: that, yes, that is correct. That's actually the, the first uh, way that the F-18 pilots uh, saw the object was visual. I,
3: and I mentioned that because it wasn't really clear that there was visual sightings, even though we have video of the things, I want to make sure that people had seen it as well.
4: Yeah, and, that, and that's where they got that term "tic tac." To them, it looked like um, one to two tic tacs that were just sitting in the sky.
3: So, uh, so there is a mechanism for peer review. Are, is there going to be a publication associated with the organization, or are they going? Are they looking to publish in other scientific journals?
4: Um, yes, we, we will want to publish in other scientific journals. And any case that we peer review, and I might add. Uh, when we peer review something, it does not necessarily have, need to be, have been created by an SCU member. It could have been created by someone else who comes to the SCU, but at any rate, once we approve uh, an article, then we will post it on our website.
3: So there is a mechanism for publication as well? Yes. So that we can, and, and can people suggest Topics maybe that uh, you know I would like to see somebody do something on the Mantel case, uh, you know, consolidate that information. Can, can people do that as well uh,
4: by yeah, going? Yeah, ab- the- absolutely. We we actually have you know an SCU Facebook site where we have these type of discussions, and one of the things, for example, that I know one of the guys uh, wants to discuss is identifying, for example, a the top from nineteen forty. Seven to the modern era, and to basically have those cases reviewed by the entire uh, SCU membership.
3: And, and I, I think that's an excellent uh, idea. I just wonder if you can get a consensus on the top 20 cases.
4: <laughs> well, I, well, I think the way he's looking at it is there would be a, a ranking and rating, and then he's going to use statistics to, uh, and then he'll publish all this as to how he did it and then use statistics to, to
3: rank them. Uh, Robert, we're running close to the end of the program here. Uh, so I want to thank you for taking your time to give us a little bit of information on the SCU, give us some information on the Nimitz Carrier Group sighting and what's going on, and I guess the world of the UAP. We're going to have to adjust our thinking into the world of the UAP. Um, <laughs> we the can webs- still call it UFOs. <laughs> I prefer flying saucer because then we know we're talking about alien spacecraft, as opposed to <laughs> some, something unidentified in the air. That's just me. Uh, the website is explorescu.org. Uh, I will have more information about that. And Robert mentioned a Facebook page. I will try to get a link up to that on my uh, on my blog, so that'll be easy for people to, so, to to find. But as I say, also it's explorescu.org. The blog, my blog is www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and the uh, latest book that I have done is called. Um, encounter in the desert (laughs) and I always want to say contact in the desert because I didn't invent the name of the book but encounter in the desert and it deals with the Lonnie Zamora sighting which might be something one of the top 20 cases that the SCU might want to take a look at because I've done an awful lot of research and discovered some information that wasn't available or was available but hasn't really been talked about and and one of the things that, that kind of excites me is the fact that we've always thought of the Zamora case as single witness and by going through the documentation in the Project Blue Book files, we found references to three people who would called the police about seeing something in the sky minutes before Zamora called in and said the, that he had seen the thing landed on the ground and get somebody out there to assist him. So I think that's an important thing to do. Uh, as I say, the book is Encounters in the Desert. It deals with the Lonnie Zamora sighting. It's, on a, it's available now at Amazon.com. Take a look at it rate it. It always helps if you give a review and and rate the book if you like it, especially if you like it. Next week, I'm going to delve into the Billy Meyer uh, quagmire, which is, I guess, a good term for it, starting off with a a look at some of the people who don't believe Billy Meyer, and we will culminate in the the next couple of weeks with uh, one of the supporters of the Billy Meyer case, see what's going on. As always, take a look at the other fine programs at the XZone Broadcast Network, xz, xzbn.net. I will be back in 167 hours. Thanks for listening.